So what do you do to prepare for a celebration of Christmas? I suspect that um, you may do some decorating around your house. Maybe on the outside you might hang some greenery, a few lights from the eaves or something. And on the inside, um, a Christmas tree, ornaments, lights. Some people have different traditions with that. You know, some people wait until Christmas Eve to put up the tree and decorate it. That actually is an ancient tradition. Others um, put up the tree yesterday, like we did. Um, And probably most people are somewhere in between there. Some point in the next week, two weeks, whatever, things will begin to go up. We've started decorating in here. I want to thank the people who who did that. I suspect that maybe some of your your, um, preparations have something to do with what goes on in the kitchen. You know, some uh, Christmas cookies, that was, that's always been our family tradition through the years, and we've continued it since we've been married of uh, cutout cookies and, um, you know, things in little shapes of a ornament or a bell, an angel, a Christmas tree. As a child, we would do that, and we would make the cookies and, you know, have all these cookies spread out, and then we would all frost them. And you had these bowls of different colors of frosting, and I tried to I always tried to make my cookies look as unappetizing as possible when I decorated them. Because then nobody else wanted to eat them, and I would get to eat all the cookies that I decorated. It took a while for my family to figure that out, but eventually they did. And, you know, there may be that for you. You may Maybe your tradition is fruitcake, or maybe your tradition is some kind of pastry. There are lots of things that, that we do and traditions and preparations for Christmas. It may be that you go to special music performances, or maybe you have special, a special book or special stories that you read or things that you share as you go through this season of preparation. We do a lot of things to prepare for Christmas, and we should. That's really what Advent is about. It is this time of helping us to prepare for the celebration of Christmas. It is getting our minds starting to focus on this great day in which we celebrate the birth of Christ into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And it has been an historic tradition for the church. But preparing for the coming of Christ doesn't begin with the church. It begins way back in the Old Testament too. Over and over and over again, the prophets declare, get ready, prepare, watch, because the Messiah is coming. And when we come to the New Testament, the passage we read today, we find Jesus, again, using that same language, prepare, get ready, watch. Now, as we read that passage, you may have been thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with Advent? That doesn't sound anything like Mary and Joseph and, and a baby in a stable. That doesn't sound right. But historically, Advent is as much about the second coming of Christ as it is the first coming. Because the the principles are the same. The need for preparation, the need for being ready, for watching. And just as the prophets give these admonitions to the Israelites so that when Jesus comes, they will be ready. So Jesus gives it to us so that we will be ready when he comes again. Now, one of the things that we think about when we, when we start thinking about the second coming is we get enamored with the when. We're much more concerned about when than how, I find. And I guess that's human nature. 
We like to know when things are going to happen. But it intrigues me how often people want to set dates and times, you know, as Harold Camping did last spring. And, and the book years ago, you know, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. And, you know, we have, we have all these people that want to set times and people that want to make charts and figure out exactly when all this is going to take place. And, and it, it's intriguing to me, especially when you read a passage like this, where in verse 32, Jesus says, no one knows about the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, not even me, only the Father. So be on guard, be alert, because you don't know when that time will come. It's one of the clearest explanations in Scripture. No one knows, and yet something in us wants to know. I think maybe it has to do with our desire or yearning to control. Because when we know something, when we know about when something's going to happen, we feel a little bit more in control of the situation. You know, when you when you don't know what's going to when you don't know when things are going to happen, there is a sense of 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 vulnerability, and we wonder, well, I don't know, should I do this now? Should I do it then? When is this going to happen? And you sort of live on the edge when you don't know. But Jesus makes it very clear that we aren't going to know. But I suspect the deeper part of our yearning to want to know has something to do with. How in love with this world most of us are. Now, you might not have any connection with this, but as I was thinking about this idea, I remembered back to when I was young. I have two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. We're all fairly close, within a five-year age range. And um, as we got older and my parents went away on a trip, they would leave us at home by ourselves. Usually that worked pretty well. Uh, my sister got real bossy, but, you know, that's a whole other issue. But anyway, and here's the thing that would often happen. You know, back in those days, they didn't have cell phones, so you couldn't call and say, hey, we're, you know, we're about there, we're going to be there a certain time. They just leave. They, so they'd say to us, we're going to be back early evening on Friday. Here's what would happen. About Friday, on Friday about 4 o'clock, we'd look around the house and go, yikes, this place is a pigsty. You know, dishes piled in the sink and food out on the counter and, you know, everything disheveled, you know, stuff all over the floor. Nobody made their bed, you know, all of that. And we realized something needs to happen here because mom's not going to be happy if we walk in the house like this. She walks in like this. But we weren't going to do anything about it until about 4 o'clock. And about 4 o'clock, then everything kicked into motion. And we all had our jobs and we, you know... Dishes were flying and stuff was all over the place. And, you know, we, we were cleaning as fast as we could. We positioned my little sister periodically at the front window to let us know if they've happened to pull in the driveway. Like that would make any difference to us getting done sooner. I guess you could run out and stall them a little bit longer. But there was something in human nature that says, if it's at 6 o'clock, then I'll wait till 5 o'clock to worry about it. I mean, it's just it's the way we tend to operate. And And... I don't think we would be or any different in the spiritual realm. There is a tendency that we have that says, if it's going to be that day, then I'll, I'll wait till then to, before I worry about it. And we already do that anyway. We already think that we always have more time. And so you'll hear things like, well, when, you know, when, when, I, when I have some free time, then I'll really study the Scriptures. When, when I retire, then, then I'll really start thinking, spirit, thinking seriously about Christ. 
When the kids get older, then we'll start worrying about teaching them the things of our faith. We, we already do these things. And I'm sure Jesus understands our inclination to live that way. But when you don't know, you always have to be ready. Now, there are examples of that all over our lives. You think about how uh, people who work in the fire department or police officers, they have to be ready at a moment's notice. The siren goes off, the call comes in, they grab stuff and go. That's not the moment where you say, okay, now what do we do? You know, that's not the moment where you say, where do we put things? No, you go because you're ready. Someone was saying to me the other day that, um, you know, that, that probably would be a good strategy for some classes. Uh, if the professor said at the beginning of the class, all right, we're going to have a huge exam during this class, but I don't know when it's going to be yet. You'll just walk in one day and I'll give you the exam. Now, you know, most students would be very unhappy about that because most of us, when we get the syllabus, say, okay, it's going to be on November 24th, so I'll start studying November 22nd. But that not knowing, you always have to be ready. Someone else was saying, well, I, it's, it's sort of like being the backup quarterback on a football team. You know, in the, as you get into college and professional levels, the backup quarterback never plays at all until the starting quarterback gets hurt. Now, everybody else on the team plays sometime during the game. You may play on defense or offense or kickoffs or punts. Everybody gets in the game except the backup quarterback. If you ever watch a game, he's usually the guy on the sideline with his cap turned backwards holding a clipboard or giving signals to the people on the field. He doesn't play. But if the quarterback gets hurt, that's not the time for him to say, oh, where's the playbook? I guess I should probably look at that. He has to know it. He has to be ready to jump into the game and, and do the best that he can. But he can do that because he's been preparing, because he's ready, because he doesn't know exactly when he's going to be called on. And the ambiguity of not knowing causes us to decide if really, if Christ is important enough to us to prepare. If Christ is really important to us, then we want to prepare and we live with a spirit of preparation and readiness. And our struggle to, to watch, I think, often belies our, our skewed view of salvation, or at least the skewed idea that we communicate about salvation. We, we tend to think that salvation is primarily about getting into heaven. And, and that is certainly a part of our, of our life with Christ. That's an important part of it. But when you live, if, you're, if your only mindset is, I'm, I want to be a Christian so that I can get to heaven, then you're going to delay that decision as long as you possibly can. I think the real, the real point of being a follower of Christ is what he does for us now. It's, it's living in the joy and the blessing and the grace and the love of Christ now. It's seeing our lives transformed now. And then when, when the time comes, yes, we have eternity with Christ and it'll be awesome. But it can be awesome now too. And that's what he wants for us. That's what he created us to be. And that's why Jesus came, to change us now, to change our lives now, to make us new creatures now. And the more we embrace that, the more we will think about preparing, watching, 
being ready. There's something of this that I think is tied up in verse 30. It's a verse that's been very confusing and, and difficult for most of us through the years. If you've read it, he said, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Until all these things have happened, this generation is not going to pass away. Now, you read that and you think, okay, now wait a second. That generation he was speaking to was 2,000 years ago. I'm pretty sure all of them have passed away by now. So what's going on? There are a lot of theories. I think the best theory is that Jesus is answering two questions. He's he's addressing two issues in this passage, in this chapter. Chapter 13 begins as they're walking by the temple, and the disciples say, Jesus, look at this temple. Isn't it amazing? Look at what has happened here. Look what we've made. This is amazing, awesome. And Jesus says, you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And the disciples ask, tell us, when's this going to happen? What will be the sign that's all about to be fulfilled? But Jesus doesn't answer that question then. I think it, he realizes that they are so enamored with these things they've made, with the stuff of this world, that they're completely missing the point about preparing for the kingdom. And so he shifts gears, and he says in the next 20-some verses, he talks about the second coming, the end times, that day that, that is, is up ahead and preparing for that and getting ready for that. And then back in verse 28, he, he goes back to answering their original question. And in essence says now about the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, think about the fig tree. This generation will not pass away until these stones are a massive rubble. And you need to know this because you get so wrapped up in the stuff of this world when you do, remember at some point, all this stuff's going to crash and burn. All this stuff's going to disappear. But my words, my truth, my kingdom is eternal. So what are you focused on? Where are your eyes? Where's your heart? What's your priority? And I think we miss so much of, of, of God because we are so wrapped up in this world rather than his world and the kingdom watching and preparing. So what does it mean to watch and to be ready? I think it has a lot to do with our attitude, with what's going on in our hearts, as much as what we may do. I read about a family that was sitting around Sunday dinner, and they were discussing the sermon, which happened to be on the second coming of Christ. Maybe you do that at Sunday dinner. I know that happens at our house. And um, they, were, they were talking about this, and they had a teenage son who said, you know, there were a lot, I just don't understand a lot of this. And he had questions, and the father tried to answer the questions as best that he could. And ultimately he said, look, it boils down to this. We're not going to know all the answers to these questions. So what you need to do is just live each day as if it were your last. And the teenage son said, whoa, 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 wait a second. I did that once, and you grounded me for a month. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. I think he's talking about spiritual perception. And spiritual perception, as Jesus intends it here, is living life in which the eternal and the spiritual impinge on everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, 
every way that we treat one another. We make decisions about our lives based on spiritual truth rather than earthly human truth. We treat other people in a way that makes sense spiritually and eternally, even if it doesn't make sense in the way humans tend to view things. We judge what's important about life, not the way everyone else does, but the way God does. And that's what's most important to us. To choose to watch is to choose to live your life so that everything you do is influenced by looking for Christ. It's living in a spirit of anticipation about Christ's coming, not as something to fear, but as something to rejoice. The way we treat people and the places we go and the words that we say, the way we spend our free time, the focus of our existence, all of it hinges on this underlying anticipation of Christ's coming. And so we read the Scriptures because we want God to speak into our lives, not because we want to prove some theological point. And we engage ourselves in prayer because we want to know God more intimately, not so that we can convince God to give us what we want. And we have relationships with people, not so we can get from them, but so we can give. We just live our lives in this world, not thinking, how can I get the world to think I'm the center? But instead to think, how can I give of myself to this world and to people in need the way Jesus does? And when we prepare ourselves to see Christ coming on that day, what we're really doing is preparing ourselves for Christ coming in the everyday common events of our lives now. The macro preparation leads to micro preparation. And the more properly we prepare for that grand and glorious unknown day, the more properly we prepare for the daily moments of Christ in our common lives. The more we are ready for that day, the more we see Christ at work in this day. We see him in other people. We see him in the circumstances that come to us. We see him in the scriptures we read, in the prayers we pray. We, our eyes are open to him because we're preparing, we're watching, we're looking. And our focus, our attention is on Christ more than on us. But it also, it's also true that the surest way to prepare for that day is to live this day focused on Christ. We are never more prepared for the day of his coming than when we are open and listening and watching for the voice and presence of Christ in every moment now. Watching for Christ coming into the world and into our lives doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. You know, watching, preparing doesn't mean that that we just sort of hide in our homes and and, and wait for Christ to come back. When you, The parable that Jesus tells is very clear that everyone has work to do. And in fact, you get the impression that what makes the owner of the house so angry is that his servants are just lazing around. They're sleeping. They're not doing anything for the kingdom. But what they do for the kingdom doesn't make them ready. What makes them ready is having a heart open to the king that then leads them to live in such a way that reflects 
the nature of the king. Whenever I think about this watching, waiting, preparing, it always makes me think back to when I was in seminary. And for the first three years I was in seminary, I I worked in the emergency room at the University of Kentucky Medical Center. Now, I just want to be clear, I did no medical procedures on anyone. Uh, I did assist a couple of times with some suturing and things, but nothing was, you know, I I didn't do anything. I was a clerical assistant. I was the person everyone loves to talk to. So let me see your insurance card. Is this the same address that you always have? Uh, Who's your primary doctor? You know, all of that kind of thing. And also the person who, at the end of the time, collects the money, which was always fun too. But I, I did learn a lot being there. And my family was stunned that I would work in an emergency room because they know how squeamish I always was about that kind of thing. When I was in high school, I had throat surgery. And what kept me up the night before was not the surgery. It was thinking, realizing that when I went to the admitting to be admitted, they were going to have to stick a needle in my arm and draw blood. That's what really had me worried, not the surgery itself. So they were pretty surprised, but I learned a ton being there. And I actually loved working there. It gave me a chance to interact with a whole wide range of people, and I built some great friendships being there. But the one thing that I noticed in working there was that preparation was essential. It's what made it happen. And I watched as, as every time a patient was done in a, in a room, was discharged, either from a trauma room or from one of the regular rooms, As soon as that patient left, the first thing that happened was usually a nurse went in, cleaned up the room, and restocked everything. So that when the next patient came and they took them into that room, they weren't looking for stuff. They weren't wondering, where did the scissors go? Where are the sterile gauze? Where are the sutures? They knew where everything was. It was fully stocked and ready to go. That was the the very first thing that happened as a person left the room. And no one stood out at the back doors watching for an ambulance. No one stood there and their whole job was just to stand there and to wait for an ambulance to come. When we weren't busy, we were just living life together. And a lot of my memories of of working there are conversations I had with people. I had the privilege of having a number of spiritual conversations with people who worked there. They knew I was a seminary student and they had questions, and we would engage in those conversations. But we also, you know, talked about UK basketball and talked about their families and their lives. And, you know, and we, we ate meals together. And there were all these things that were going on as a part of that. And I realized the reason we could do that, the reason we could exist in that setting with sort of this, this peaceful sense of waiting was because we were ready. Everyone knew their job. Everyone knew where everything was, and as soon as someone came in, whether it was a gunshot victim, someone who'd been stabbed, someone who had an asthma reaction, whatever the case may be, as soon as they walked in the door, everybody kicked into action. But no one sat in panic waiting for the next person to come because what if we don't know what to do? What if they surprise us? Truthfully, every person that came was a surprise. We had no idea anyone was coming. But that was okay because everyone was prepared and ready. And if you want to live with a sense of joy and a sense of peacefulness, if you want to live with a a sense of, of, 
of the grace of God in your life. Be ready. Watch. Prepare. Think about your life in the everyday and God at the center of it. Think about your relationships in the everyday and ask God to be in the center of it. Think about your reading of Scripture and your prayers and ask God to open your eyes so that He's in the center of it. The people who who miss Jesus when He comes are not irreligious people, but they're people who are not ready. They go through all the religious motions, but their focus is not on God. It's on themselves. Their focus is not on the Messiah. It's on what they can get. Their focus is not the heart of Christ, the heart of God. It's on purely everything about them. And they miss him. So Jesus calls us to watch, to be people who are prepared and ready so that we don't miss him. So are we. Gracious Father, Sometimes we think about that day and we are confused, we are uncertain, we wonder. Sometimes we feel a a sense of fear, anxiety. Father, I pray that today and during this season of Advent that you will help us to be so watchful and mindful and ready for that day that it just totally transforms how we live this day. Let our focus for that day and this one be on Christ. And we ask this through His grace Amen.